Hello and welcome to the First and Ten Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Feltz, here in Bloomington, Indiana, rainy Bloomington, Indiana, gloomy fall day, but uh, one of our last warm days of the year before we get into true Big Ten football weather. I can feel it on the horizon. Pretty soon it'll be November and it'll be the true home stretch of the season. We're here to recap week eight of Big Ten football. Uh, what ended up being a pretty tough to watch week of Big Ten football, not a ton of games and of the games we got. A lot of them turned out to be pretty ugly, but here to break it all down with me in Columbus, Ohio, on the campus of The Ohio State University, it's Reed Murray. Reed, what's going on? Hey, Patrick. Just another day in the home of the student media polls, number one football team and the unanimous number one women's hockey team in the country. So uh, just happy to be here. Hard not to be happy when you've got both of those number one teams on campus and the only polls that I consider to be factual. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the S&P, obviously, you know who I am, you know, my background and, uh, you know, the, the women's hockey poll, hard to argue with that because, uh, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin if I were to start arguing. So, uh, I will respect the results of that one. I'm sure that they are fair and just read Ohio state this week, big win over Iowa, a lot of ugly games this week. I'll start with my winner of the week here as we get into winners and losers. In all those ugly games, I'm not sure there was one that, to the average fan, was more surprising than Wisconsin and Purdue. Really, these two teams were headed in complete opposite directions, Wisconsin trending downward and Purdue trending up. But this was a blowout. The The scoreline is not indicative of what the game was. If you know, it, it was a blowout until it wasn't. Purdue scored a lot of garbage time points, and it, it wasn't enough to come back. My winner of the week this week, in this sea of ugly games is the curse. Purdue's curse against Wisconsin doesn't matter how poorly Wisconsin's trending, doesn't matter how good Purdue is trending. I knew for a fact there's no reality where Purdue breaks the curse. It wasn't going to happen, and it didn't happen. The curse is real. Wisconsin just owns Purdue and will continue to own Purdue. Ask anybody um, who's a fan of either team, and they will tell you that this is a thing. Winner of the week is the curse and the believers of the Purdue-Wisconsin curse because it certainly played into fruition this week. If Purdue can't get it done in stakes like these, then I'm not sure when Purdue will ever be able to get it done. Well, I guess that makes me the loser of the week because I, I did – that's something I don't like to do. <laughs> I did pick against the curse, and you know how, how into superstition I am and how much like, uh, I believe Like Michael things. Scott, you're a little stitious. I am a little stitious and uh, I, I broke, <laughs> you know, I, I broke Sports that. Sports and pop of... culture here on the first and 10. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I did pick against the curse regrettably and uh, my fault on that. So I guess this is a double loser of the week um, for me. I'll have my loser of the week in a minute when we do those uh, and I will be one as well. Um, but for my winner of the week, I don't like giving winner of the week to just a team. I feel like that's, you know, I like to be more creative with it, but mm -hmm. My winner of the you're week a little has creative. to be I, I'd say you're creative with it. My uh, my winner of the week has to be Rutgers. They're they, they're four and three. They have a winning record, mm -hmm. and and you know they've had a winning record before. You know they're oh they're one and zero whatever. When was the last time we have been halfway through the season and Rutgers was over five hundred? I mean I do think they're going to lose every game for the rest of the year. But hey, yeah, four it and gets, three. That's it gets something. tough the rest of the way here out. Um, it does get tough. Yeah, the schedule's yeah. not easy for them. But and they didn't play they, particularly something to be well said for four and three. They didn't they play didn't. particularly well against Indiana, and Indiana had, handed them the game. However, wins a win. They're four and three. A win is a win. You're absolutely right about that. All that matters at the end of the day is what's in the win column, what's in the loss column. They've got more wins than losses, and that's impressive. I, I agree with you on that, Reed. 
I think the offense can only get better from here too for Rutgers. It can't get much worse than it was, you know, going even a couple weeks ago. So whether it's this year, next year, whether it's Nunzio Campanelli or somebody else who is the offensive coordinator, whether it's Vedral, Noah Simon, whoever quarterback, I'm going to guess option C, somebody else, anybody else. The Rutgers offense, I think, this year, next year, whenever, can only get better. And, and the defense really does seem like it's, it's a strength of this team. This is a team and a program trending in the right direction. And, and while it's not all the way there yet, I think they've got the potential to be, especially in two years once divisions have been changed. And I, and I bet there's a pod structure of some sort because that's other news is that divisions are sticking around in 2023 in Big Ten football. And the 23 conference schedule is actually dropping tomorrow. Maybe we'll have a little bit of analysis on that in our next episode. But you know, this is a Rutgers program trending in the right direction, and I think there's a lot to be excited for in Piscataway. All right, losers of the week, Reed. Moving on from that, my loser of the week this week, the once-vaunted Minnesota Golden Gopher defense, Reed. This was a defense that was near the top in the country in just about every major statistical and advanced statistical category through the first four or five weeks of the season. They were rolling on all cylinders. They are clicking on all cylinders. They were rolling. They looked impossible to stop. Minnesota's defense was absolutely legit. And for a quarter against Penn State, it felt the same way. They shut them out in the first quarter. Minnesota led 3-0 in this game. And then they got crushed in the middle two quarters, outscored by 38 points. Really just an embarrassing showing by this Minnesota defense. And Minnesota once looked like the class of the Big Ten West. Now they're 1-3 in conference, 4-3 in the season feels like the wheels have fallen off in Minnesota. And I think it starts and ends with really an incompetent performance from the Stevens. Yeah, that's, that's really a shame from the Minnesota team. I believed in so much in the beginning of the season, but uh, I'm going to go. I feel duped, Reed. I feel duped. I do too. I've, I feel been... like PJ Fleck ripped the rug out from under me and told me to row myself home. What's the uh, what's the Stephen A. quote? Uh, we've been we've been bamboozled, bamboozled, led astray, run amok, and, and flat, flat out, out deceived. deceived. There you go. That's, Minnesota that's football, twenty twenty two. And and when we say that, it's we have been deceived. The college football world has not really been deceived at all. Mm-hmm. But we, the the two of us, kind of have been. But I know. We... I'm going <laughs> similarly to how I did the triple read option last week i'm doing triple loser of the week said the first one is me uh for not believing the curse second one is that big 10 schedule for keeping divisions next season i mean it's not that big of a deal but come on divisions such a thing of a past I, I, it's good that they're going to be gone eventually when ucla and usc show up but it would have been nice last season or next season excuse me to uh have seen a divisionless big 10 but maybe there's whatever no, is what it is maybe there's no point in having temporary one-year schedule and then reworking it completely again for ucla and usc I guess. Yeah. But I I just, it's the sooner we get rid of the divide between the East and West. Oh, I agree. You know, you know how I feel about it. You know what team I watch every Saturday. (laughs) If there's any team that would benefit it, benefit from it the most, it's Indiana, if not Rutgers or Maryland. And right now I think Indiana would benefit it from, from it probably the very most. And that's true most years. So, you know, how I, you know, where I stand, you know, how I feel. Right. I'm, anyway, I'm uh, my every, every bit of the way. Read though. My loser of the my week. real loser of the week. I'm going to give it to Alex Padilla, backup quarterback at Iowa. He finally gets a chance to prove himself after weeks of Spencer Petras looking abysmal and still not getting a chance to play. Um, finally, he gets his chance against Ohio State. And Petras, he had a 5.9 QBR when he was removed. By the way, that's yeah. <laughs> staggering. 
Padilla did not rise to the occasion at all. Fumble on the first play he's in, throws a pick later, and he has a somehow even worse 3.9 QBR. Um, for those not quite familiar with the QBR statistic, a single-digit QBR is something you almost never see, and we saw it from two separate quarterbacks. Uh, Iowa football Iowa this Saturday. Kings of single digits. Uh, I mean, cut in the game. And, and I still do think Padilla deserves another chance for Iowa because Petrus, I think, is just that bad. But he did not do himself any favors. So that's, you know, that, that's the real loser of the week for me. Yeah, uh, hard, hard to argue with that because Iowa, Iowa football, man, this, this is unwatchable. The, the product, you know, even beyond the defense typically being good, even though they gave up their most points in a game in decades this week against Ohio state, the product on offense isn't just bad. It's unwatchably bad. It's a headache. It's so unbelievably frustrating week in and week out. I don't know how Iowa fans do it to be quite honest. It's well, I do know how they do it because I'm a Colts fan and I've had to see the exact same thing this season with Matt Ryan under center and that changed this week. So we'll we'll see what it's like with Sam Ellinger, but there's just really nothing positive you can say about this Iowa offense in any facet. And, Honestly, it makes me wonder how important were uh, <laughs> Tyler Goodson and Amir Smith-Marset to mask all of this and make them look. Oh, Tyler Goodson competent. was enormous. Tyler I mean, Goodson, might, especially Goodson. Tyler Goodson, I think, especially beyond Amir Smith-Marset, who, who was also really the last dynamic playmaker of a receiver Iowa had. They haven't had anybody since. Now Tyrone Tracy is at Purdue. Uh, Charlie Jones is at Purdue those guys were playmakers and they're certainly doing it for Purdue in division against a team that I was cursed against. Boy, that is some medicine. If you're an Iowa fan doing more than they ever did in a Hawkeye uniform, but Tyler Goodson, especially the loss of him really just completely changed this offense evidently. And, and I don't think the offense was good with Tyler Goodson, but man, it was at least watchable. It was competent. It, it was able to, to keep you in games when your defense was, you know, playing elite, like they tend to and I guess that's the other thing is the Iowa defense is just good or great not elite this season you know typically for Iowa the recipe is an elite defense and a an offense just period it's just an (laughs) offense I'm not gonna call it good I'm not gonna call it competent I'm just gonna say an offense they don't have an offense this year they have 11 players who step out onto the field when Iowa has the ball but they don't have an offense I think I would agree with that assessment. And speaking of Iowa offensive players, a little bit of hashtag Reganey watch here on the first and 10. Um, after the game, um, while I was just out and about, I'm pretty sure I saw about three or four people get into a car all wearing Nico Reganey jerseys, probably his family. Um, so that was a fun little thing. Nico Reganey, of course, for those uh, who don't know, um, years and years ago, we posted a lot of highlights from Big Ten games on our Instagram story, Reganey. Uh, I believe he reposted a couple of them. And he messaged us a few times. So class act and Nico Regani. First and ten uh, legend. Sorry to, sorry to trash Rags. your offense, Nico. We still I'm sure, love you. I'm sure he, if he is out there listening, Nico, we love you. You can't disagree with us. Let's be quite <laughs> honest. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. You're still welcome to come on the show, Nico. We day, love you, Nico. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Shout out to him. Always uh, a good guy to interact with over on our Instagram where you can follow us at first and one G read any other losers of the week for you besides yourself, which I thought we were going to mention, but we're not going to. 
I, I did. I, I, I said it briefly. Briefly. I'm not going to let you live it down. Reed is the loser of the week. Uh, I'm go. a loser every week, but Reed's a loser this week. So uh, I got to let him get onto my level for one week and uh, and give him a taste of my medicine. So Reed, welcome to Loserdom. It's good to have you here. Uh, Ohio State's always good, so you can't lose. It too sounds much. really Costanza-esque. You sound like George Costanza right now. I'm a loser every week. Jerry, you never lose. You're winning all the time. <laughs> there you go. All, all the sign. Uh, Tommy Devine and my parents will uh, appreciate that. My parents will Little too. Sign every, reference. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a favorite show of us here on the first and ten. Definitely something we uh, we joke about a lot off the air, making a lot of a lot of references to that show. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but uh, it's something we do. So uh, that's it for the first half of the show. We're gonna get into our game of the week, player of the week, our wheezy of the week. Our first and ten ballots, our first and ten SP ballots, and our shout-outs. We're gonna close out the show by giving some shout-outs to our listeners and to just other things going on in our lives. Uh, a fun little new segment we're trying out. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned for part two of this episode of the first and ten. Back here on the first and 10, ready to get into the second half of the show. We're starting with our game of the week, Reed. Not really a lot of great options for us to go through right now. Kind of a terrible week in the Big Ten. But I think the game of the week, we talked about this earlier, Minnesota-Penn State, not a competitive final score, but we did get a half of good football, which really we're reaching for that there. <laughs> um, and we had a great atmosphere. It's always fun to watch the whiteout games just to see maybe the best crowd in all of college football come to life on a Saturday night in happy Valley Reed, I, I think this is the game of the week and uh, slim pickings, but, uh, but it's, it's the game of the week somehow most weeks. This would not even be a footnote. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Penn state, I think you're right about them being the best crowd in the country. There's a lot of great crowds in college football ones that come into mind, you know, LSU, Texas A&M, Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state. I think Penn state takes the cake and uh, it's always great to see that environment lit up the way it was. Um, and you know it was it was a bit of a game for for a half. It was it was fun while it lasted, and then Penn State, of course, uh, broke away. But um, like you said, not many other great options. Got to go with that as game of the week. Yep, I'm with you there, Reed. So, getting into next, our player of the week, Reed. I'm staking sticking around in this game, Penn State, Minnesota. I'm going with Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback who has struggled at various times, whether it's in 2020, 2021, or here in 2022, including last week against Michigan. Sean Clifford really looked the part of a veteran sixth-year quarterback this week. He was making all the throws he needed to make. He was the team leader. The team rallied around him. He wasn't making mistakes. This was just a really good Sean Clifford performance. And the kind that, you know, you watch this quarterback play in 2019, the natural progression would be, well, you'd assume that by 2022, if you, you know, go back in time to talk to yourself in 2019, you'd assume in 2022, Sean Clifford's not playing college football anymore because this is a sixth year. Who would have guessed the COVID year, whatever, but you would have guessed that Sean Clifford by his final season in college football would be playing like this. This is just the type of player that he's supposed to be 295 yards, four touchdowns, 23 of 31 passing a really solid all around performance from a veteran quarterback who is finally looking the part of a veteran quarterback. He experienced He's a smart decision maker. At least this week he was. And uh, and he made just about every throw he needed to make. Really impressed by this performance. And if it keeps up, I think there's no reason why Penn State can't be competitive with any team in the entire country. Not saying beat any team in the country, but be competitive. You know, Ohio State potentially withstanding. We'll find out this coming week. So 
I, I really was impressed by Sean Clifford, though. Can he keep it up? Remains to be seen, but he is my player of the week. I think with Clifford, it's it's really a matter of consistency because we like we saw a great Clifford performance, and we've seen some pretty bad Clifford performances this season. I think it's kind of reminiscent of DJ Uyungle, excuse me, at Clemson, where he's you know Joe Klatt said it on on Twitter earlier that is he was making the point he was arguing about Clemson versus Michigan in a hypothetical matchup, and he was saying. Look, DJ Uyungle's highs are very high, but his lows are pretty low as well. I think Clifford is kind of cut from the same cloth there. Uh, I think they have similar issues with consistency. But when Clifford is on, he definitely can be a dangerous uh, X-factor kind of player. And I think that's what we saw this week. Uh, my player of the week, a little bit of a, it's going to be a callback to my loser of the week, which I, I think it was two weeks ago, my loser of the week. Um, I'm forgetting the timeline, but was it last week that Michigan, that Wisconsin lost to Michigan State? Yeah. Yeah. So it was my loser of the week last week, Braylon Allen. Now he's uh player of the week because I think first of all, um, you know, he, he had a pretty good game, 113 yards on 16 carries, averaging seven yards carry, one touchdown, um, an important role in a maybe curse backed but still impressive upset win versus Purdue and could be potentially be a momentum building victory. And I think just the way he responded to um a mistake that cost his team last week to now kind of playing such a big role in the win, I think that's huge and uh Big props to him. Yeah, really great performance by him and another great performance in a, in a string of them over the last two years by, by this great running back and, and a lineage of, of great running backs at Wisconsin. Definitely impressed by Bray, Braylon Allen and uh, in his improvement over the season. Because, you know, if, if you're a superstar player like him, it could be easy when the team seems to be falling apart and the coach is fired and everything, the sky is falling, Right it could be easy to just pack it up and be like, all right, I don't care anymore. seems like he's working even harder. And, uh, and I think that's a testament to the culture that even without Paul Chris, Wisconsin still has instilled in Madison in, in that, in that locker room. So credit to him. Great game, great performance. Hopefully for his sake, he can keep it up. All right. Time for one of our newer segments here. Not the newest segment. We'll get to it at the end. Wheezy F of the week, the wheezy of the week. Reed, I'll let you go first. Give me your Wheezy of the Week. I'm going to say Wheezy F, baby, and the F is for finance. Let's get into it. Indiana has a financial pickle or a financial decision or a financial crisis potentially to deal with because Tom Allen has a buyout of over $20 million. And this is hilarious the way I found this out because I Googled it. It was hilarious, I think, the way this was reported on. It was last week after Indiana's loss to Maryland. And it was just an article in the in the Indy Star that just the, the headline was just Tom Allen's buy, uh, buyout will, will be over twenty million dollars, uh, a source said, or something along those lines, which is just such a funny passive aggressive way of saying Tom Allen should be fired. Um, but that is a lot of money um, to pay to tell a coach uh, to walk out the door. And I think if we're you know obviously th- th- those conversations have to be have to be had right now of of what the future looks like with Tom Allen. And I think. If Indiana were to spend that twenty million dollars, that's I think that'd be risky because it's it's difficult to you know it's not like there's a, an easy candidate to take his place. I think the two that pop in the pop in anyone's head would be Kalen DeBoer and Cade Womack, both former coordinators of Indiana during their. Kind I don't of see anybody height. leaving Washington for um, Indiana. Let's be honest. Exactly, and, and what I will also South say, Alabama, is think, maybe, but right. And I think Kalen DeBoer's done a great job at the helm at Washington, but I also. I'm not really convinced that if you take the Washington team and put them in the big 10, that they would really do any differently than Indiana right now. So I think um, it's tough. There's no real 
easy option. There's no guaranteed success option. And I think Indiana is also a hard program to lure somebody to do from the outside. So well, it's, it's, it's also an incredibly tough program to win at. Like we've seen exactly. in the past, it's, what, 100 years? Seriously. So it's a tough, you know, on one hand, you don't want to just keep things the way they are, right? Something has to change. But if you're going to be spending that much money to get rid of Allen, which I think is a, a decision they're going to have to deal with, um, you know, it, it's a risky move. And I guess at the end of the day, it's probably going to come down to just how much the boosters are willing to pay for it. But I think the boosters have bigger fish to fry. Um, they have a basketball team. Basketball. They just, pay, yeah, they just so, paid a basketball buyout last year for Archie Miller. So it's tough. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's so at the end of the day, these things do kind of come down to the boosters. But will the boosters be willing to cough up that kind of change? I don't know. This this kind of an interesting financial decision that Indiana has to reckon with in the upcoming weeks. And uh, there's I'm, that. I'm really interested to see how, how it turns out. And I'll, and I'll touch on this too. There's that. And there's also, th- keep in mind, the Big Ten TV pot is about to become bigger than it's ever been before. You're, every single True. school in the conference is about to be making more money off of television revenue than ever before. The buyout might not even be a relevant figure at a certain point when you have that much money coming in from just television rights. At a certain point, the buyout becomes just, do you want to pay it or not? Because do you want this coach in your building or not? And I don't know the answer to that for Indiana. Obviously, things have fallen apart massively since 2020 when the team was in the top 10 and, you know, a touchdown away from beating Ohio State and potentially winning the conference. So ever since then, obviously two and 10 last year, their three wins this year all came in the first three weeks. They've lost five in a row. Really, it does feel like things are falling apart. I don't see another win on the schedule for IU. I think they finish out three and nine. At a certain point, there's just a level of failure you can't accept. And the team, I think more than anything, this is another story in the Andy Star this week by the great Tyler Tackman. Um, good guy, great writer. So uh, he, he talks about this. The product is unwatchable more than anything. They're not just losing games. They are losing games in an unwatchably frustrating manner. And that's turning fans off. Fans don't want to show up to the stadium. Fans aren't going to watch on TV because they play such an incompetent brand of offense where occasionally they get lucky uh, and the other team screws up and gives them some points. And, you know, they're, they're scoring 10 points on offense game. It, it, it's just unwatchable. It, it's insane that they keep trotting out the teams they do and uh, and expecting it to, to be any different week in and week out. Bayslack struggled the last few weeks. The offensive line's been bad all season. It was last year too. Really, there, there's nothing worth watching on this entire offense besides Jalen Lucas, who's been really good. So I, I think something has to change for Indiana this offseason. I don't know what, but it, this, this program needs a total overhaul in every single facet. I, I don't know if that starts at the top it might. I, I, that's a lot of money to pay. That's the, that's the issue. And you don't know, Reed, like you said, if you're going to be able to find a replacement for Tom Allen who can get you to the highest that you were at in 2019 or 20, that's really hard to do. It's it's not a super attractive job because it's incredibly difficult to win at Indiana. It has been forever. That's never going to change. But what Indiana needs to become is, is a program that has good coaches who can recruit and you know a, a three-star and turn them into a competent big 10 player right now player development at indiana has been non-existent guys aren't getting better year after year that's the issue and a, a program like wisconsin or iowa doesn't recruit at a level of a team like say michigan ohio state whoever but they've been able to achieve at points similar success to them because their player development has been superb and that's what the, the map is for indiana for me 
who's that coach going to be though? And so far it hasn't been Tom Allen, at least in recent years, something has to change. I feel like there needs to be a total overhaul in that locker room. Maybe it starts with firing the coach, but at that point then, all right, who do you hire? That's the big question to me. And where do you get the money? Is it the TV contract? Is it somewhere else? I don't know. There are a lot of questions. And if I were the person who had all the answers for them, I'd be running the athletic department. I am not doing that. My salary would look a whole lot bigger than it is uh, if I had the answers to fix Indiana football. And uh, I would be a whole lot happier than I am right now if I had the answers to fix Indiana football. So maybe it's unfixable. Maybe maybe this is just a, a completely broken marriage between Indiana and Tom Allen, but I don't know. I think uh, these next few games are going to be critical in seeing the way they respond. If they can even put up a fight against these last four opponents on the schedule, or if they just crumble and fall to the floor and say, we're done, we surrender and waltz into the off season at three and nine. I think we're gonna learn a lot about Indiana in the next four games, but at the same time, I don't know how much left there is for Tom Allen to even do to turn this thing around. Really, if you bring him back next year and it's anything similar to this, I don't think you can keep him around after that, but I think he's about 50-50 on next season. Don't have any insider info. This is not me, you know, hearing something. I haven't heard a peep. This is just me giving my personal thoughts on my analysis of the situation. Right now, I, I just don't think you can really tell either way if he's going to come back or not. We'll learn about this team's resolve in the next month of the season. A pretty tough slate too. So yeah, uh, I've got a lot to say about that situation, Reed. I don't know if you have anything else to add there. I think you got it all. Yeah, it's been on my mind a lot if you couldn't tell. (laughs) Uh, Really just an absurd fall from grace for the last two years for Indiana. Northwestern, I think same thing. And I think Northwestern is going to have to answer a lot of the same questions as Indiana this offseason as well. Not a team we really talked about here, but they competed with Maryland, could have won that game, and uh, and didn't. But Maryland gets the win. Northwestern, the only one-win team in the Big Ten. You know, that's another program that, that has seen the same fall from 2020 to now. All right, my Wheezy of the Week read, Wheezy F baby, and the F is for father. Brian Ferentz, son of Kirk Ferentz, still has a job. Any other offensive coordinator in the country who has produced at such a poor rate would have been fired not just this season, but the season before or the season before or even the season before. This Iowa offense year after year has been bad, but this year is just an unacceptable, unbelievable level of bad. And looking at, you know, just historically speaking, how awful is this Iowa offense, Reed? Um, Iowa's game this week against Northwestern. We'll get to it in our next episode. The lowest point total over under in the history of college football is on this game, 31 and a half. Lowest ever. That's how bad Iowa is on offense. And if Kirk Ferentz was not the fire, father of Brian Ferentz, he would have been sent packing a long, long time ago. So my F of the week is father. All right, that's it for our awards this week. Reed, let's get into our SMP ballots. Uh, you know the drill. Top five, then Big Ten. I'll start. Number one, I've got Ohio State. Number two, Tennessee. Number three, Michigan. Number four, Georgia. Number five, TCU. My other Big Ten teams I've got ranked, like I said, Ohio State 1, Michigan 3. I've got Penn State 15. I have Illinois 18, and that is it. Reed, what do you have? I got really similar to you. 1, Ohio State, 2, Tennessee, 3, Michigan, 4, Georgia, 5, Alabama. Then in the Big Ten, of course, 1, Ohio State, 3, Michigan, 14, Penn State, 18, Illinois, and no Purdue. Yeah, I took Purdue out. Uh, 
I did expect them to lose to Wisconsin, but not in the manner that they did. That was just embarrassing. They played terrible. Aiden O'Connell. Yeah, whether you expect it or not, you you do have to dock them for that. You do. You abs. You've absolutely got to dock them for it because not not only did they play bad, they played beyond bad, and they they kind of pulled it together at the end. But it doesn't matter. That was garbage time. Purdue absolutely gave that game right to Wisconsin from the opening kickoff and onward. Aiden O'Connell literally gave the ball to Wisconsin more times than you can count. I just can't rank Purdue after that. As much as I do like this team, and I, I think that they are still, in my opinion, the best team in the Big Ten West, I think they're better than Illinois. Illinois just proved it more. Purdue, that you know, I, I could make my excuses for Purdue with the two losses by combined seven points to ranked teams in Syracuse in Penn State. This Wisconsin game, there are no excuses. Curse or no curse, an unacceptable performance. Reed, any thoughts on your top 25? Um, I'll just say, you know, with Clemson, I have Clemson at six. We were, we were talking about this last week. Um, you know, they, on one hand, Syracuse is a good team, right? So I, I don't want to, you know, discredit somebody too hard for a close game with a good team, but I think consistently Clemson uh, should be looking stronger than they have been against these kind of mid-ranked um, ACC teams. So I did bump them back behind um, Georgia and Alabama. And I have Alabama at five because, you know, as much as I did discredit them, uh, they, they looked pretty good against the Mississippi State team that I think is solid. Um, so they're at five. And then uh, in the Big Ten, Illinois, I, it still feels so wrong having Illinois at 18. And I think at some point, Illinois will be unranked. I don't think Illinois is going to finish the season in my top 25. I think the wheels are going to fall off. I but, so hey, they have, you know, they've proven it up until this point. They've, they haven't given me a reason not to put them there, so they deserve it. Going to keep giving them credit until they give me a reason not to. Um, other than that, I don't think there's too much to explain. Penn State, you know, kind of kept them roughly where they were last week. You know, they, they look good, but nothing too impressive to uh, bump them up too much. Uh, so I think that's, that's about all I have in terms of, you know, ballot explanations. Kind of a straightforward week, I think. I'm with you there, Reed. So that's it for our ballots. Time for our final segment of the week. Shout outs. All right. It's pretty simple. If there's something we want to shout out, we shout it out and then we end the show. All right. Quick shout out. Shout out to Sam Ellinger, new starting quarterback for my Indianapolis Colts. Matt Ryan was pretty terrible for seven games and uh, he's hurt, but the benching is not just because he's hurt. It's because he's been bad. So Sam Ellinger, hook him, baby. New starting quarterback for the Colts. Uh, I don't know if I would say I'm excited, but I am intrigued. It could be more watchable than watching old man Matt Ryan get beaten up every week. Sam Ellinger can at least make plays with his feet. He can chuck it down the field. He was good in preseason. I'm grasping for straws here. I think either – my thoughts, I'll give you a quick Colts thoughts. Sam Ellinger is either going to completely turn this thing around and they're going to win 10 games or the wheels are going to fall off and they finish with four wins and a top five draft pick. So that's it. Uh, that's my shout of the week. Shout out to Sam Ellinger. Hook them. Go Colts. Read any shout-outs. First to 10 listeners, I apologize. We we had to listen to Indiana Hoosiers Patrick and Indianapolis Colts Patrick My this bad. week. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> hey, guys, that, that, hey, I allowed, that I allowed this to happen. You're allowed to That's brag that your Titans beat my Colts again. They did, but hey, act like you've been there. Um, although <laughs> I, I did brag I did brag on Instagram, so I will, uh, you know, I guess I didn't quite act like Oh, you've anyway. been there. You've been there too many times. Come on. <laughs> been there four times in the last two years, but uh, – yeah, that, that'll be my only Titans comment for the entire season, I think. I don't think I need to talk too much Titans on this show. Um, but I'll say shout out to Lindsay, who said she was going to listen to the show. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we hope you appreciate our expert football analysis.
We appreciate the support of all of our fans. Shout out to Lindsay in particular. We know you're listening out there somewhere. So everybody listening, thank you as always. We always appreciate it. You can follow us on Instagram at first and one G same thing on Twitter. Read anything else from you before we go. This Friday, number one, Ohio State women's ice hockey taking on number two, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Finally, a Big Ten matchup to talk about on this Big Ten show. Number one versus number two. What more can you ask for? And I'm on the call Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. Go check that one out. Uh, It should be a fantastic game. Hey, if you want to listen to some Ohio State women's hockey, there's no better place to go than Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio with Reed Murray on the call. But between now and then, we've got another episode coming later this week, a preview episode, so stay tuned for that. But until then, for Reed Murray, I'm Patrick Feltz saying so long on the 1st and 10, and we'll see you next time. Bye.